Warning. This is a world of heroes and villains, of adventure and adversity, of love and death. The characters portrayed in these stories come from varied walks of life, not all of them healthy, and the journey ahead is dangerous. Sessions may include strong language, suggestive situations, alcohol or drug use, depictions of violence against anyone and everyone, speciesism, classism, social elitism, self-harm, slavery, and death of characters or NPCs. The world can be a dark place, and sometimes bad things happen to good people. If these things make you uncomfortable, you may want to consider alternative listening, but ultimately, only you can decide whether or not this is the show for you. If it isn't, you're under no obligation to say, we hope you find what you're looking for. If it is, then we hope you enjoy the show. And we are live. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining joining us this evening for uh, Vanadia Origins. Hope has left the building. I am, of course, this evening's narrator. And if you would be so kind as to introduce yourself. Well, hi. I'm Hope. Hope Roseglow. I'm the rather insignificant village of Eden's Bridal, and I, I, nothing really special about me except I have really big feathery wings. That, that is kind of a dead giveaway. You know, um, affinities are often welcomed at first glance, um, by everyone because you're omens of good fortune and all that, and, uh, uh, you know, most notably the uh, the the mother goddess Ariadna has the market cornered to some degree on uh, affinities um, and everything they represent. But you're not one of Ariadna's. No, no, I am not. So, um, Yeah, that that's interesting. How how does uh, how does one approach going to uh, going through the motions every day, not as a, a child of Ariadna so much, but as a child of Imogen, goddess of the blood moon, the mistress of power, all things dark and insidious, and you know the the cascade of names goes on. So, what's what was, you know, let's let's. Here, let's let, let's start this from a from a nice neutral position here. So, you were born into the tiny, tiny, tiny little hamlet of Eden's Bridal. Uh, small, very small. Uh, your parents, uh, Rilla and Ephraim, uh, had a boy before you, uh, Raladin, and um, were hoping for another boy to come along so that. Should uh, Raladin decide to join the military and uh, make himself a soldier in the war against the Demon Lord, uh, someone would be there to take over the entirety of uh, Roseglow Farm. What 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 does your family? What's your what's your primary keep there at Roseglow? What are you guys? Uh, what are you known for in town? Aside from you mm-hmm. know the the shining child of hope and light. Uh, we are a livestock farm, so we. Mostly sell milk and cheese, as well as fleeces from sheep. I spin and make my own yarn, or I used to anyway. And we we sell some wool products, as well as meat products when the animals reach the end of their lives. Okay, that, that's those are good products. Those are, and, and um, I'm I'm sure having uh, the uh, the silhouette of a winged woman. On uh, the label probably helps sell things just a little bit. Oh, it, it, it certainly does. Yeah. Like every, everybody wants to buy yarn when it was made by an affinity. Oh, I'm sure. I'm, I'm sure they're, they're hoping some of that divine, that good luck, that divine fortune rubs off on that. Um, so, yes, they, they were hoping for uh, another strapping young lad like uh, your brother who is quite the uh you know quite the stoutly built young man yeah they were they were originally planning on on the spare 
you know, the, the air and the spare thing. Of course. That makes sense. And then, you know, after, uh, you know, after a, a surprisingly smooth uh, labor, um, they were blessed not with a, a strapping young spare to the air, but rather with a, a perfect little bundle of monochromatic light and love and big feathery wings. Um, that I, was quite the shock for your parents, I imagine. Um, I mean, you know, it didn't stop them from going about and forgive the colloquial popping out um, Micah a year or so later. But, well, they still needed the spare. Of course. But um, having you on hands, that was a game changer for your family, I imagine. Tell me, tell us about that. What, what was, what was that like for you to, to walk into as a, as a small child? Uh, when you're, when you're that young, you don't really understand what all these people are saying to you, you know, that you have a, a great future, a great destiny ahead of you. They, they speak of it in very broad terms. They're not particularly specific on what they want you to be doing. Mm. But I know I noticed more or less immediately that I didn't have to do half as much work around the farm as my brothers did. Like the most I, I was mostly limited to collecting eggs, spinning yarn, sometimes brushing down the horses. But still good things, still contributing to the farm but you know not, a, not as much as the, the boys were no of course not the the boys the boys had a bigger workload to shoulder i'm sure um, oh yeah that uh your your birth your arrival was a kind of a a golden egg if you were if you will because for your mother at least you know you this child presented a an opportunity that nobody could have foreseen affinities are known across uh, the expanse for their for their their divine connection for the power they represent um that's good omens for all things to come and surely you know to have ariadna lay this child at their feet and and say here is this perfect vessel of divine power and potential raise her as you will your your mother um she uh she had some plans for that oh she she had plans what what was it like for a child blessed with flight to have a mother ever circling overhead it's it's a very strange feeling knowing that she was constantly watching like she she immediately kind of fired me into education as like befitting somebody who might be of slightly higher economic status than me or any of us really and my brothers kind of got they got the basic education and I got that and more and there was the whole ad, the whole added concern that you know I, I was fairly small as a child, but I like I like to fly, and it was it's not like she could chase me up into the sky. So she used to just kind of stand on the ground and look up at me screaming. Yeah. Hey, get, get, get to me. Yeah, it's uh, it it must have been an interesting thing for the neighbors to watch. It was murder on her poor nerves. You know, to, to see this, to see this, the radiant child soaring across rooftops in, uh, Eden's bridal, um, to and fro your mother ever behind shouting, you know, don't chase the birds. Don't pet that. You don't know where it's been. Um, you know, Oh my God, hope get down from there. You're wearing a dress for God's sake. Um, yeah, that one happened a lot as I got older. I'm sure it's as a child you never think of those things. Your 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 head is elsewhere in happy places, and to be born without shackles like that, to be possessed of so much freedom, must have been exhilarating for you. 
What what was it like to be the only child in town who had a whole nother dimension when you played tag or hide and seek or things like that? It was, it was an odd one. It was a bit of a mixed bag because some of the children were fine with it. Like they were perfectly happy to let me join in and others would accuse me of cheating because I was able to hide in places they could not reach. And I was, because I had the wings, I was a lot faster than everybody else. Definitely. So I, I was nearly always accused of cheating in certain circles. There was, I, I had a small group of friends and I kind of stuck with those. At least you had Philagi. Oh yeah. I, it, was, it was always there. A sweet little lad from uh, the Lanua farm. Towering father and ever-welcoming mother. Even, you know, even from the very beginning, always happy to have you at the farm. It must have been nice to uh, to have had, you know, an interesting parable, I suppose, to have your home and family, your brother's always working, your father always making sure things were getting done, your mother always steering you towards things, telling you, you need to go learn this, you need to go learn this, you need to absorb this knowledge, you need to think about your future. You're four years old, but you're going to be an adult. You're going to be 14, you're going to be 24, you're going to be 54, you're going to be 104. You've, you've got to think about what you're going to do now. And then on the other side of things at the Lanua farm with uh, Falagi and his parents, where it was just chores in the day and then dinner and family time. Reading books by the fire, uh, dad telling stories. Um, here, sitting down while Angus told you stories that he'd heard from people in the market when he took goods to town or Margaret singing songs and, and doing just simple things that a, a very different life from the one that you found yourself born into, although economically speaking, fairly identical. Yeah, I think it was because they kind of knew that I would have so much to do when I went home. They, they didn't really want to put any more on me. Sure. So like they, they let me just hang out, do nothing for a little bit. How did you get along with uh, Falagi's uh, sister, Adane? Fairly well. Like she was she was always kind of around, but she had her own things going on. And she was always nice to me. Well, that's so much like most of the family was. But she wasn't like a, a strong presence, if that makes sense. Certainly. It's, you know, it must have been nice. So many... Uh, little sisters have such adoration for their older siblings that uh, when someone falls so hard at such a young age for a girl, as Falagi did for you, it's not hard for them to become jealous personalities because you're, you're, you're stealing their brother away. So it, I, think I, I think that might have been... The parents as well. They, they they found their things to do. That's very nice of them. As you grew, your expanded view of the world was tested so frequently. Your mother was always urging you to, to learn things, to learn the names of uh, the local lords and other ones. Uh, as you... Uh, I'm sure your your mother made a big point of parading you in front of uh, Duke Deegan, his uh, and and his wife, the Duchess, uh, every chance they got to remind them of this little piece of divine fortune that was in this little hamlet. Yeah, I think she was very pleased with the idea that clearly the gods weren't targeting nobility when they created their affinities they would make them wherever even in even in a, a, a humble farmer's wife you know well and i'm sure that it, there was 
you know, there there's so many stories they tell about um, young girls of simple upbringings, um, you know, marrying up, uh, stumbling into wealth and society and taking their families along on this adventure as they become these great, you know, the, these new things. And, and your mother was so determined that you would learn about the politics, that you would learn to be cultured, to to be etiquette, you know, to have her telling you, you know, this fork, this spoon, this knife on the, this plate, while your brothers were literally elbows on the table fighting over dinner rolls, like the, the next seat over. You know, yes, there's, it was an interesting situation to be in. I imagine so. That such a, I mean, there's always a double standard when it's daughters to sons, but more yours so much more drastic by this perception of great of a great destiny that your mother foresaw for you and the family by extension. Yeah, it, it came from a good situation. I'm sure. I, I imagine it came from a place of love that she wanted the best. She wanted good things for you always, but exhausting taxing and stressful for a child such as yourself just trying to figure things out i mean children in general are cursed with a lack of agency their parents and their teachers and so many other beings govern all the facets of their lives and and children spend so much time just trying to figure out how to possess any level of agency on their world and as your perceptions grew and expanded and your agency did not, that must have been stressful for you to to be growing older, to, to reach a point where basic education had come and gone and the kids were spending more time on the farm or they were thinking about what sort of jobs they would take over for the family or if they would travel out to the cities to pick up a trade to become magicians or swordsmen or fighters or whatever and you never got that break did you you, you never really. got that yeah like i was never really given much of a choice like you know i'd, I'd hear the others talking about what they were going to do with their lives or like even some of the older ones they were starting to pay her off and they were starting to think about getting married and and they were they were given the choice they were allowed to choose and I, I never really got that it was always about the great destiny the amazing future you're going to be a, a hero or a leader or a something I have to tell myself this now. how old were you the first time somebody put a weapon in your hand and said you're going to fight for the, you're going to you're going to lead wars and to fight evil in the name of the goddess. How old were you when they gave you your first blade? Six. Six years old. A, hopefully a dagger. Uh, uh, they gave it, they gave it a go anyway. Uh, they start they started with a dagger, thinking that you know I could use it as a short sword until I was actually big enough to hold a short sword. It turns out I wasn't able to lick the dagger either. What they ended up putting in my hands was barely bigger than a dinner knife. You possess no bloodlust, no yeah. love for combat. No, no. It, it was very upsetting. I'm sure. Um, such a, such a, such a, a sweet-tempered child. More, more akin to. More akin to snuggling the babies at the farm at the farmyard, uh, to chasing barn cats, to to sneaking milk from the kitchen for the kittens, than lifting a blade and and bringing the battle to the forces of evil. You, hope rose glow clad in full plate armor and giant feathered wings. Flaming sword in hand, bringing battle to the door of the legions of the demon lord and the like. Just a child with the asp with the forced upon aspirations of an adult. 
I legitimately cannot even imagine myself in full plate armor. There's a reason. It, it it's also kind of funny. In in that in that dogs playing poker sort of way. Yeah. Yeah, like a shape walking on its hind legs. Exactly. So the sword wouldn't work. The yeah. mace wouldn't work. Oh God, no! Archery. Sure, I wouldn't even be able to lift it. Yeah, archery. Not much good at that either. Spears and pole arms. Closest I get to one of those would be a shepherd's crook. Thank God nobody owned a hunting rifle. A challenge. Definitely definitely a uh, an unseen side of difficulty for you to to have grown adults yelling at you to to fight to to brandish weapons and all you wanted to do was run in the woods with Falagi and make flower crowns things like that were you relieved at all when they decided that you'd learn to be a healer instead of all the combat courses yes i I think I realized fairly early on that I was better suited to treating injuries than causing them. That's understandable. You were always a compassionate caregiver when they presented you with the ability to use your abundant magical capacity to heal, to to fix the results of combat rather than to wage it. Were um, were the Gobels good teachers, Claire and Dermot? You you spent three years with them, learning the fineries of not just magical medicine but also traditional herbalism and the like. They were, they were good teachers. They had a what? They had a wealth of information. Uh, they they could be a little stern, and they they had very specific ideas on what I should be doing as a healer, and I didn't necessarily agree with all of them. Well, of course not. The church, you know, they were so certain Ariadna had put you there for a reason, that Ariadna had placed you here to to become a beacon of light, to galvanize the, uh, to galvanize the working class to become servants of a greater will. And, um, and then you were 12. And a bone-white, fire-haired woman in a dress much finer and unlike anything you'd ever seen on the farm approached you and told you that everything that you'd been told about where you came from was a lie. Tell us about that. My my first time meeting Imogen was uh, was it was a very strange encounter. I mean, firstly, she did she didn't exactly dress down for the event. She she came in in all her finery, and I I had never seen anything so fancy before. So I I spent a solid like five or ten minutes just gawking like a country bumpkin, which I am. And she started explaining everything, and it was it was very strange to think that someone like me could have come from someone like her, especially in terms of like you know I've been told that I am a creature of goodness and of light, and you know my coloring clearly reflects that. You know I I basically I look like an angel, and here's this apex predator goddess telling me otherwise it it didn't make a whole lot of sense the idea that rather than being white for purity and and all that you were sans a color palette for the sake of being bloodless descended from the vampire goddess imogen um a woman the patron of 
the entire vampire of of everyone who labors under what is called the vampire curse beings who must consume the lifeblood of other creatures to survive and there could not a, I don't I dare say there could not have been a greater a greater insult to the idea of you healing and restoring life and making whole the injured she was, not a, she wasn't impressed it, I, I can only imagine that was a uh, a difficult thing to come to terms with. Did you come to terms with when she told you this? Was it was it a simple oh okay or how, how did you take that news? I I wasn't really sure what to make of it at first. Like I wasn't really sure if I should believe her or not because I know it, there's so little of me or there's so little of her in me that it, it doesn't seem entirely believable. Certainly. Like, if you were to look at her in all her glory and then look at me, you probably wouldn't twig straight away that we were related in any way. Like, I, I don't look like one of her usual creations. I'm, I'm fairly certain you've never worn anything that could be described as potentially painted on. Mm. And uh, I don't imagine that you have ever seen yourself as a slinking predator of the night. <laughs> no. No. I, 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 I can I, I can I, I can understand that. Um and uh assuming you took this news with you, did you um did you go back to your parents? Did you tell the people in the town about this? Um I didn't quite tell them outright. I kind of just, I broached the subject of my my parentage and I, I threw around ideas. I, I learned a little bit about all of the gods and I, I planted the suggestion, you know, could it be Imogen? They're like, no, no, don't be ridiculous. That's understandable. It's understandable their uh, hesitance. You can uh, think about... Things like that. I mean, let's look at who the... You, you did your research. Let's look at who the four gods are. There's Ariadna, the mother, the uh, the goddess of life itself. There's Imogen, the goddess of the blood moon, the vampire queen. There's Susurus the whisper, the murderer, the, the god of brigands and thieves. And then there's Fallon, the elementalist, the magician, the, the, the one most most removed from people only because his interests and focus lie with the arcane rather than with the flesh and bone. Considering, uh, or assuming Ariadna to be the one is kind of not, not just the most likely, but in many ways, a best case scenario, don't you think? Yeah. It's, it's not exactly a stretch to think that, that I could have come from Ariadne rather than any of the other three. Like, given, given my my personality and the way that I am, it, it makes sense. Plus, Ariadne tends to make affinity every now and then anyway. She is quite and known for that. She is. So, Which I think helped along the assumption that Ariadne was my mother. It's why everybody just assumed that it was her. Of was course. because she's known for making affinity. Indeed. So, the time of your childhood passed. Your opportunities to indulge in that sort of life taken away by studies and by the greater machinations of your mother and the local lords and your tutors and the like. Um, and then you became an adult. You, 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 well, almost, you became a young, a young adult. And others started going away to distant towns to learn their trades, to learn their classes of study. 
And um, your mother didn't do that, did she? No, I, I, you, you were, you didn't have any interest in going anywhere. Your, your whole life had been in this town, a life that you had reluctantly and through no desire of your own, for the most part, been unable to explore. I mean, you knew children's faces, you knew their names, you knew them when you were small, but you lost connection with so many of them as they grew up because you didn't you didn't have the time to be a part of their lives, to, to show interest. You didn't get a dress and go to the, uh, the harvest season balls to, the, to dance in the town square around the flower pole. You, you were studying, you were learning, you were being educated for this great, this it's great, great non-specific destiny. Yeah. And, if I can be so bold, how long did it take before you had finally had enough? Uh, honestly, I honestly, I'm not sure it was, it was building for a very long time, especially once the, the studies intensified, like everybody else was finishing school and it seemed like I it was never going to end. And like, Everybody was preparing to live their lives how they wanted to, and I was still stuck with this great non-specific destiny that I still had yet to work out. And apart from the healing, they, they didn't give me any real direction. It was all in very vague terms. Like, they, they knew I was going to do something great. They just didn't know what. Right. It was It was a destiny so grand that even they couldn't figure out what it would be, but they had to prepare you for everything. More or less. And your circle, your social circles began to shrink as the friends you had in childhood left to do their own lives and your own world became filled with more tutors and more practicing and your parents didn't know how often you snuck out with Falagi at night. Just to be able to be yourself under the bow of the trees and in the shadows. Right, because he was the only one that stuck around and he was the only one who was allowed to stick around. Of course, someone with such a great destiny as you, unable to lift a sword, would need a bodyguard. And, you know, Angus had been a soldier. He had fought long and hard in the Demon King's War. He had proved himself with distinction... Surely his son would be just as strong and just as prepared for it. And he threw himself so hard into that to be your guardian. How long did it take for you to figure out just how madly in love with you that poor fool was? I think in the back of my head I always knew. But... We only really started seeing each other as as lovers around and about I think it was about sixteen ish. Indeed. I mean in fairness, if we had attempted anything any younger than that, my brothers probably would have beat him to a bloody pulp. Raladin They still had they they still kinda of wanted to, but Raladin especially, always the watchful eye for his little sister. Even even aside from the great destiny your mother talked about, your brothers were always watching out for you as, as best they could amongst their chores and learning how to farm and everything else. But they, they did what they could to be there for you. I, th they, I think they knew that it wasn't fair, but what, what power do children have in the face of their parents' grand design? Yeah, and like they, they always, they always kind of hung around like throughout my teens, like especially like the few the few friends I I still had apart from Falagi. If any of like the the local boys came sniffing, they would just be like nonchalantly lurking in the background, mm -hmm. or my dad my dad be sitting somewhere sharpening a scythe. Yeah, for for no real reason other than 
Why not? Just, just to, uh... Just, just casually sharpening my scythe. Just, just, you know, to, to illustrate that there was an abundance of sharp objects to be had. Yes, basically. As any good father does when his daughter is at the curious age. <clears throat> so, you grew and you learned and your mother encouraged you to go to Breckenray to to see the castle to to see the healers to learn about the nobles to get yourself known to to get your face out there so that people would know about Hope Roseglow the affinity the child of Ariadna from the sleepy hamlet of Eden Bridal and you said no you stayed home and you studied and you learned your healing and you tended the animals the the most magically competent vet the farm community had ever seen and you well i did i did treat the people as well of um, course whenever accidents happened yes and uh i uh, i i wager uh Falagi made a point of oh i've hurt uh, i've hurt myself <laughs> i've got to go see the girl uh you know a few times a day um, and your mother pushed, said, what about Jostin? You could go learn from the tax keepers. You could learn about the finances, how the kingdoms are built, how the money trades hands. And you said, no, I, I have, I have all this here. And she pushed to go outside to, to other, to other places beyond Ismith, go out to, Go out to Gareth, to the far south, and see what it's like for people who are living so close to the center of the slave trade. To see what the oppressed look like. That seems very far away. Yeah, to, to, to go to the arms of Ariadna Sanctuary, to reconnect with your divine roots. Mm. I mean, I couldn't tell her. <laughs> go to uh, go to Tobix, learn about herbalism uh, from the oldest living affinity out there, and learn about Ariadna's battle against the Beldane, the the those who who sell the 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 meat of their souls for divine powers, not of earthly ken. I don't know it. That would have been interesting, but I think at that point. I think it was partially because it came from her that I railed against it. And after a while, she began to think as much. And then that fateful day came where your mother drew the line and said that she thought that Falagi was getting too too into everything that he was starting to hold you back and you couldn't let anything hold you back especially not something as simple as a childish crush on a farm boy when you were meant for greater things to to marry a duke to become a noble to to have children of divine heritage to to bring the rose glow name into the mouths of the kings and queens of the land and i couldn't be having that now so what did you do left you gathered what you needed you slipped out at the dead of night met Falagi by the gates of town and you disappeared yep we we ran away together in the last what has it been 10 years have you ever gone back to Eden's Bridal um just just the wants. It's after yes. So you two escaped. You you fled together dangerously romantic, passionate young lovers with nothing but the open road and the endless bow of the blue sky above them. You a talented healer with a heart as big as all perdition. And him, your loyal grassroots knight orange wild hair and blue eyes as clear as the sky themselves. You 
walked in road wagons along the back roads. You earned your way healing travelers, uh, visiting small places, doing what you could, volunteering your help here and there, just enough to keep the food available, the occasional uh, skin of wine, things like that. And every night, whether it was under the stars or at an inn or in the hay in the stables, you had the warmth of Falagi to keep you there every night. A dangerously romantic thing. Something very easy for any young girl to get swept up into. Freedom that you'd been denied and the strong embrace and the unconditional love of someone who had always been there. Those were the best few years of my life. He wanted to marry you, to put a ring on your finger, to, to scream to the world that you were, that, that Hope Rose Glow wasn't there anymore, that it was Hope Lanua, that she wasn't this child of her mother's designs, that you were free to live your own life, that you two would have your own place your own babies and your own grandbabies and everything else but for the time from now it was just you two and the great sky and that that M word the, just hanging pensively. It was, it was there. Like we talked about it but it was always kind of in abstract terms like something that we would have time for later. And then you got late. <laughs> yeah how, how was... what what was it like discovering you know you were on the road just him um you know doing this this exploration this this pursuit of freedom in the great open sky is the limit and you hope rose glow hope we're going to be a mother it was it was it was scary. Like, I, I hadn't really thought about having children, except in a, you know, oh, I have time for that later kind of a thing. And then the next thing, you know, I can't stand the smell of bacon. And I, I throw it up almost every morning. And Indeed. And, uh, marriage became less of a it can wait at least for Falagi. He, he oh yeah he, he needed to 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 have you wed by then because he wanted that child his his child your child to be born right and proper under the eyes of the church he, not that he was ever religious but you were descended from the gods i mean he knew it was Imogen, not Ariadna, but still, you were, you you would come from the gods. They they needed to be respectful of the how of how they wanted things done. Yes, uh, it's a, it suddenly became something that was most definitely going to happen very very quickly, rather than something that was going to happen eventually. It, it was definitely a thing, and what a strange thing as well you, you know you're you hadn't even talked to your parents for three four years at that point just you two out on the road exploring the the woods and the back roads seeing the worlds and something other than books and knowing that you were seeing it because you wanted to travel for yourself not for what your mother was seeing it as I was seeing it on my own terms. Which is, you know, that, that sense of agency that you had been denied as a child all rushing up to meet you very quickly. Yes, uh, we, were, we were too far away from home to kind of rush home and tell everybody the good news before we got married. It was kind of a case of uh, 
we need to do this now and we can just let everybody know when we go home. Because we were, we were far too far away. Indeed. And there it was under the bow of trees in the southern woods by Bethesda Keep with just a local, uh, with a local a prioress of Ariadna and a few witnesses, people you'd been traveling with. Falagi in his least torn jerkin and breeches. And you in a in a sundress that he refused to tell you where he found the orum to pay for. You two traded vows under the setting sun and spent your first night together as husband and wife. Was it different mm. for you traveling after that when you two were on the road together? A, a little bit. Like, in in most ways, it didn't feel any different. We had basically been already living as as man and wife anyway. Like, we were... I suppose you could say we were living in sin. Sin is sin is sin for win. A relative term. <laughs> I, I say sin for the win, but um, you uh, you you had that life together, and that baby was going to come, and you were ready because you two were together, and you knew but there was no there was no getting rid of him once we were married. Oh no, it wasn't going to happen. And you knew that Falagi would make sure that everything was okay. He promised you that every night since you were 14 that everything was going to be okay. That he would make sure everything was going to be okay. And then there was that stormy, horrible night on the peninsula west of Kephas. You were tucked in, asleep in your tent, the rain hammering the tarp outside, and there was a sound. And before you knew what happened, the tent flap was open, and that thief had grabbed you by an ankle and dragged you out into the mud and the rain. that he and his band had found let's go back there hope to that night where you've just woken you're a young mother five six months in and there's a sound, and as you start to look up, the tent flaps jerked open, and this shadowy figure grabs you by the ankle in a rain-slicked leather glove, and you barely have a chance to squeak before he's dragged you out, and you're in the mud, and the wet, and the cold rain. He looks over you, with that face illuminated by the flash of light, and he goes, Well, look what we have here. Ain't this a lovely one, ain't it, boys? And you see the six other thieves as they come out from the bushes, their weapons drawn. He goes, you know, we saw something out here, but just, this is just beautiful. And he reaches up and he goes to caress one wing with that filthy hand. What do you do? Mm -hmm. And jerk back out of the way first and I slapped him. I, I didn't have anything on me. I didn't have like my paring knife or anything. And that slap shocked him. He was stunned and his 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 mates laughed at the shock of him getting slapped by this pregnant woman. This pregnant affinity. And that twisted snarl on his face as he hit you with the back of his hand grabbed a fistful of your nightdress. And then there was a flash of steel and his arm fell away and he screamed 
And Falagi came out of the tent, sword in hand, that expression on his face, just murder on his mind. You'd seen Falagi smile, you'd seen him laugh, you'd seen him in all of his ways. But in that moment when he thought that someone had come to take you away, what did you see in his face when he came out of the tent? He was almost feral. His, like, he, he was never a particularly angry sort of person. We were fairly evenly matched in temper until I until I got pregnant, and then he just he he was very protective, and he was fairly often ready for a fight if anyone so much as looked at me the wrong way. But this was, was, was something else. And he was a beast. You said he looked feral and he screamed like one when he came out of that tent with a sword in hand. That first man who touched you, his head left his shoulders so fast he couldn't bleed before he hit the ground. And then the others came in. And you scrabbled back into the safety of the tent and you watched through the torn flap as his sword flashed again and again in the lightning. You watched them strike at him and their weapons come back bloody and he never stumbled and he never went down. Your name was a battle cry on his lips as he laid into them and there was no injury that they could put on him that would slow him down. He didn't stop until the last one of them had fallen, cradling his own guts to the ground. And then he looked at you, turned to look at you, and you watched in slow mo, slow motion as he fell, as the sword clattered numbly from one hand And he fell face first into the mud. Your husband has just killed seven men for you. And the last of his blood is leaking out into the mud right there as the first fingers of the dawn come up over the sun in the trees. What did you do? I had had to get him away from there. I, I couldn't stay there. I helped him up we we went as as far as we were able before I I set him down again and I started to look over his injuries and I I knew I I knew there was nothing I could do for him and I tried anyway you put everything you had into him You poured every last bit of energy you had into him. And he looked at you, half caked in mud and white as a sheet. And he put one muddy hand on the side of your face and he looked at you. And he smiled. Like he was seeing you for the first time all over again. And he said, there's my gal. And then he was gone. There was no blood left in him. The he by all rights he shouldn't have been able to fight as long as he did, but because you were there he had to make sure you were safe, he had promised. And you put everything you could into healing him. You robbed yourself of every ounce of what you had to try and save him. Until you were coughing up blood and everything went black. And that was the first time that you went home. You woke up in your bed in the exact same room that you had run away from four or five years ago. And you'd come full circle. You'd run away from home. You'd left to have the life you wanted with 
the man who loved you more than anything to have a baby together and then you were back and both Falahi and the child were gone. Seemed, seemed almost ironic having left and all of a sudden I was back there through through no direct action of my own. Like I didn't even know I was going back until I woke up there. You spent the better part of a year with your mother nursing you back to health. How long did she wait before she started talking about your destiny again? About five, six months. Once I, once she had managed to nurse back most of my strength, and she, I don't think she truly understood the depth of what we had. And I think if she had, she wouldn't have, she wouldn't have tried that again. I'm sure not. She loved you. Everything she did was driven by love. Perhaps misguided in much of its overbearingness, but ultimately your mother loved you. Still loves you. But you couldn't. You couldn't be there. Life in the town was hard enough, but at least you had Falagi, and with him gone, there was no insulation. And when you left the second time, you barely packed a bag. I had gone for a walk, and I just didn't go back. You'd been numb that whole time. And I was still numb when I left. Like, I barely paid attention to where I was going. I... I barely ate. I only slept when I literally could not walk anymore. I avoided towns. I just, I didn't know where to go or what to do. And I just wandered. Through little hovels and through campsites of travelers, you traded your services as a healer with what you knew and just enough to get by, just like you'd done with Falegi, but it was different. He wasn't there. I didn't really take very good care of myself while I was out either. I and I only ate when I found myself physically incapable of moving didn't talk to people. He stayed away from most social interactions. It was... Honestly, I'm a little bit surprised I didn't actually kill myself by accident. If you could hold a bladed weapon, you probably would have. But perhaps that was just a defense mechanism. It was when you turned up at the healers at Iraz with them healing you for a change, half-starved and blistered feet, shoes worn out. When you were there, and in the middle of a, a rather motherly scolding from, the, from the, the woman who ran the tutelary there, for not taking care of yourself and that you needed to... You needed to find something to do with your life to to go forward to to make to make Falagi sacrifice not in vain I still had no idea how I was going to do that but I'd work it out eventually I found myself in Meridini yep you, uh, the story of the town on the brink of destruction coming back reached you that they needed healers 
They needed workers to do anything and everything to rebuild the town. And with a little prodding, she got you on the boat and got you over there. And Duke Blackstone thanked you for coming. Somehow knew that Imogen was your mother and he appreciated that you were favoring the gift of life over anything else and was very quick to put you to work and keep you occupied over the months that followed. You were barely a shell of a person when you arrived and now... Now I'm still a little bit of a mess, but but yeah, but less I mean, of a mess than I was. <laughs> five months later, you've come quite a distance. You've gone from being alone and drifting to throwing your lot in with a questionable band of misfits. How's that working out for you, by the way? Tell us about your uh, your 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 band of misfits that you've joined with. I don't know what to make of them just yet. I mean, I've barely known them 24 hours. And in that 24 hours, I have... Oh, gosh, what have I done? I sat in a forage for a few hours, and I, I went to have a bath, and all of a sudden there was, there was a giant werebore man, and I, I did an unreasonable amount of flying, and I got shot, and... And I basically dragged the werebore out of the city by his head. Leading him by crook is an impressive uh, was an impressive bit of logic, by the way. Thank you. So, I mean, by that point, I wasn't really sure how else we were going to go about it. So it just seemed to make sense at the time. No, you did fine and fair by that. You got him out of the city and nobody got hurt. That was, all things was, considered, an impressive feat. And that was the aim. Like, you know, it was the, the solution in which nobody had to die. Oh, it's an, it's, it's an interesting thing, considering... Look at the whole path of where you've come. From your very beginning, as a, as a young child dwarfed by the shadow of responsibility and and the destiny your mother set before you to running away to build a life for yourself to lose all of that to to in some ways almost be punished for that and find yourself back at square one where your mother wanted you and then to have gone from avoiding people and everything else to helping a band of complete strangers keep one of their own from getting violently killed by local law enforcement? I never, I never understood the, the whole necessary sacrifice thing. Like, I, I don't see the point in doling out death when there are other options. Like, I mean, there are, there are other ways of preventing Riker from hurting people when he can't control himself. Don't necessarily need to immediately resort to slaughtering him. There will be, uh, do you think there will be repercussions for the actions of that night? Probably. I, I don't doubt it, but... And what will you do? What what will you do when consequences come calling for this group of people who you've only just met and have now thrown you headlong, feet first into this, into their insanity? I mean, now that I've been associated with them, there's not a whole lot I can do apart from accept whatever comes my way. You're not going to try the affinity card? Servant of the goddess, you know, could often get you, you know, that that might be enough to get you off scot-free. I, I can give it a go, but 
mean, and not to mention the fact that technically speaking, I didn't do any fighting. I mostly just stood there for most of the encounter. And at least two of the the people we came across, the, the magister, whose name I can't currently remember, I've, I've been referring to him as Chicken Wing. Nothing wrong with that. And the the woman, like, they, as far as I'm aware, I wasn't actually around when they were conscious. It was only the sheriff that actually saw me. Indeed. You're the first affinity you've ever encountered, and he was unconscious and half-drowning in the bath. Yep. Yeah, that was, that was interesting. So for all of this, for all intents and purposes, despite the fact you've become... Um, formally connected and uh, potentially um, colluding with uh, those uh, flinging justice in the face of the local law enforcement, the local lords themselves, and whatever potential prison time or punishment or anything that is going to come to them, you've decided to stick it out with them? certainly hope it doesn't involve prison time. Be nice if it didn't. You too pretty for prison? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> well. All right, I, c- I could join a prison gang if somebody thinks I'm cute and funny. There you go. There, there There's your aspirations. Write your mom a letter. I, I've, I joined a prison gang! Dear mom, you said I needed to make friends and move on in the world, and so I have. I've joined a prison gang. I got a wicked tattoo. <laughs> It's going to be sweet. Sure, Imogen would be thoroughly impressed with my badass tattoo. They call me Hope the Hellraiser. <clears throat> I think. Uh, I think if anything, this promises to be an interesting, uh, an interesting bit of times to come for you. We'll see how things unfold. And, uh, you know. I mean, Riker's got to owe you something for this, right? I mean, first it's all flirts, and then it's trying to, you know, try... Wait, was he flirting? Maybe a little. Before the beasting happened. Before he before he went all uh, rise of the bacony dawn and, you know, tried to, tried to rampage you through town. You know, I, I never even noticed... I mean, admittedly, I've only ever had one lover, so it's not like I would know if someone was flirting with me or not. Gonna have to hit you with a sign? Yeah. Well, maybe he's taking notes. <clears throat> all right. I think that's all the time we have, but I'd like to thank you for coming here this evening to share your story for its high points, its low points, for for sharing some of the 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 pain and the progression that's been your life. Thanks for having me. And uh, we'll see everybody on Saturday, hopefully when we find out just how screwed is too screwed. Hmm. Yeah. So thank you. Hope. Thank you. Deja. Thank you. Thank you. Players of the world. Thank you. Internet. We love you. And we'll see you on Saturday. Bye-bye. Good night, everybody. Good night.